0: Hey, fellow community, happy Holy Week. And what a week. If you're listening to this in real time, you're probably neck deep in Easter and Good Friday prep. Just wanted to give you a quick reminder that what you're spending your time on, it does actually really matter. And the story of Easter is the central idea of our faith as Christians, and this week is really important to lean into that. Fortunately, it's way too easy to miss the weight of the moment because you're under such a huge weight of all the preparations. So I would encourage you to take a moment and read through the Passion of the Christ. Uh, The book of John is a good one. I went to just kind of look for where it started in the book of John. It's basically half the book. Uh, It's talking about from Passover all the way through the resurrection. Anyway, give yourself some time to read it. It's worth it to just remember the foundation for why we even do production in the local church. I mean, if it weren't for John chapters 12 through 20. There would be no local church, really. So, And just uh, remind yourself what Jesus went through during Passion Week for you, for me, and yeah, just to lift the weight that you're feeling this week. If this is your first time listening to the Philo podcast, our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. So basically, it's Philo Conference all the time. Philo 2019 is coming up fast. And we're always updating the information on our website, which is philo.org. Check it out. A couple things to note is that one of our main sessions is an interview with Ola Melzig, who's the head of production for the Eurovision Song Contest. And they just started load-in for this year's event in Tel Aviv. So basically, it's like six or seven weeks of setup and rehearsals before the actual event. Ola keeps a production diary that he shares with the whole world, and it's quite entertaining and interesting. And I would encourage you to Google Eurovision 2019 production diary and start looking at the amazing process of getting the largest televised event up and running. Interestingly enough, one of Philo 2019 sponsors, Intercom manufacturer Riedel, is one of the very first vendors on site getting the Intercom up and running. And... You can imagine it's crazy complicated and they're doing awesome work. Check that out. Eurovision 2019 Production Diary. The second thing to note about the Philo Conference is that another one of our main session speakers involves Ryan Howell. He's the Director of Production at Watermark Church in Dallas, and he's my guest on this episode of the Philo Podcast. I love Ryan's heart and he has some great thoughts about doing production in the local church. And we thought it would be good for us to hear a little bit of Ryan's perspective leading up to Philo 2019. So let's get to it. I have with me a good friend, Ryan Howell. How's it going?
1: Going well. Thank you for having me.
0: A couple things about Ryan. He is the arts director. Is that fair to say at Watermark Church?
1: Director of production is the new title.
0: Oh, director of production. Yeah. At Watermark Church in Dallas. And usually Ryan on these podcasts would kind of talk about how I met this, whoever I'm talking to for the first time. And I kind of like the story of meeting you uh, less than a year ago, or maybe it yeah. was a year and a half ago, something like that. We met for the first time we were at, maybe it was WFX, a after party yeah, at Top, Top Golf. Golf. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I never met and maybe we maybe texted or emailed back and forth a little bit. And anyway, I got to Top Golf late and I asked somebody, hey, do you know who Ryan Howell is? And he said, oh yeah, I've seen him here. He's, he's got a beard. Uh, he's wearing black and he has a lot of tattoos. <laughs> that like, narrows it down. Yeah, that's like everybody here, except for me, <laughs> who is like no beard, no tattoos, not wearing black. Anyway, yeah, so that was fun. I mean, we talked for maybe five minutes or something, but.
1: Yeah, I was actually on my way out when you walked in. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: So it was great to meet you. And then, yeah, so since then, Philo 2018, you came and taught a couple breakouts. And this year we're super excited. You're teaching one of the main sessions at 2019. Can't wait. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, did you say director of production is your title? That's right. Yeah, okay. So maybe tell us a little about what that means and then maybe some of your story on how you ended up there.
1: Sure. Well, uh, I'm at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, and we have four campuses now. Dallas was the first, then Fort Worth, Plano, and now Frisco. So my duties primarily are in the Dallas campus with uh, oversight of worship in the technical arts. And then we consult with their other campuses who each have staff locally.
0: Okay. And so that includes production, music, worship, all that stuff, or is it?
1: Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah.
0: Nice. So how did you end up, I mean, what sounds like a fairly decent-sized role, how did you end up doing
1: this at Watermark? Well, I joke because uh, I kind of grew into this thing, and if I was to uh, apply today with the credentials I had back in 2002, I'd probably say, no, thank you. <laughs> but we were... <laughs> My wife and I had moved to Dallas from Ohio in 2002, and we came from a small rural church, about 200 in attendance each week, and we were looking for a small church in Dallas that felt like home. Okay. And we found that in 2002. At Watermark, we were meeting at a local high school, setting up and tearing down. I had very little experience in anything AV, but loved to tinker. And so loved to serve, signed up on the team, And, uh, that eventually turned into a part-time job and then a full-time job. And here I am today, been on staff for 15 years, man. Yeah.
0: So going from doing the production thing, like the traditional technical aspects, like how did you make the move then from doing that to also leading the people on the stage and the, the worship leaders and that whole thing?
1: Yeah, about uh, six years ago or so, I went to my then boss, who was the director of arts, and said, hey, I feel like I want to move into more of a pastoral role. What brought me to Dallas in the first place was Dallas Theological Seminary. Oh, okay. And uh, I was a student there, didn't ever get my degree, and started having <laughs> kids, and money went to diapers and baby food. So <laughs> you know how that goes. Yes. And, it's, uh, uh,
0: yeah, I, I have. There's a joke in there somewhere about diapers <laughs> and uh, theology uh, classes, uh, but I don't know what the joke is. So, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll we let it go imagine. by. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so six years ago, I went to my boss and I said, hey, "I'd like to consider some other pastoral role here on staff." And at the time, I had no idea what that would be. Right. Okay. And uh, there was an opening that came up with our single parent family ministry and divorce care. And so I prayerfully considered a position there and took that job with okay. the expectation that I was probably leaving the arts for at least for five years because it was going to be all new. I wanted to commit some long-term right, goal right. for there. And then shortly after that, we launched our first campus in Fort Worth.
0: Okay.
1: Well, the director of arts, who was my former boss, was asked to go head up that campus in Fort Worth. And because of that transition, they asked me to go back to the arts team because I'd had some experience down there. So okay that's what uh, moved me from the tech role into the role I'm in now. I've been in this position here for about six years.
0: Okay. Yeah. With a little detour through single family ministry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And how do you said that was about six months?
1: Uh, About eight months. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Wow. April to, I got back on the arts team early December. And I just recommend if you're going to leave a team and come back to the arts (laughs) team early December's probably not the best time to do that <laughs> give yourself another ketchup. month yeah maybe yeah, little, yeah, yeah
0: so i'll start in january
1: <laughs> yeah
0: for so many reasons our worship
1: leader our worship leader john abel's been with us on staff here for six years too he started about a month before uh before i came back to the arts team so he was kind of headless for a little while and uh it, we just kind of learned as we went in that first december
0: Nice. Yeah. Sounds like fun. I guess, you know, on some level as a tech person, I don't think I ever really wanted the job of arts director. You know, once I kind of figured out what was involved, it seemed like oh, all that blank pages and creativity out of thin air and all that stuff kind of scared me off. For you coming from this tech role and then single family uh, ministry, what did you feel like stepping into that role? Was you Were you terrified? Did it feel like putting on a comfortable pair of shoes or...
1: I was terrified, I felt ill-equipped, and the phrase, if you've ever heard it, know who you are, like who you are, be who you are. Okay, That is something that I clung on to. So I am not an ideator by nature. A lot of folks that head up an arts department, they're highly creative, they can think of ideas right out of thin air, I'm not that guy. Okay. I I view my position more as a uh, conductor of an orchestra. And so if I can be in a room, I think I can make ideas better, I can think about how we can execute them, and I look to have the the ideators and invite the right people into the space. Okay. Yeah. I stand on the shoulders of the giants here at Watermark. Yeah, right. I, I, they make me look amazing.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's almost a little bit like if you're a tech person and you're leading a tech ministry, if you know how to do everything, then sometimes you get caught doing everything yeah. or not figuring out other ways to do them. And I would imagine the same's true if you're leading an arts team, that if you're good with all the ideas, then you're not making space for other people to have ideas. And maybe you're also like a bottleneck for if everything comes through you, then it's not super effective.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. There just aren't enough hours in the day to be the the expert everywhere. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you think now that you've been doing this for six years, is there something that you wish you knew when you were just purely on the technical side that your change of perspective now has kind of opened your eyes to, or do you feel like when you were the tech person that you, you and your boss had a a good synergistic relationship that everything was great?
1: Well, you know, we go through seasons all the time. I did have a great relationship with my boss. I think the perspective that I have gained since taking this role is just the amount of impact that one side of the microphone can have on the other side of the microphone and being able to appreciate that. Uh, specifically, you know, with if pro presenters not working or something goes awry with the confidence monitor and you see the whites of the eyes of the worship leader <laughs> and they have no idea what the next word is. It's up to me to make sure that we work all that together because we, we're functioning on one team with the same goal. Right. And we're rather than one side of the microphone being frustrated with another, we've got to work together and pray in those moments. If, uh, if it's not one of those things you can pull up in the next two seconds. Right. Right. Yeah. Great humility. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like that, the perspective that you gained by changing the your job, or was it something that you were kind of in touch with, but then once you were responsible for both halves of the equation that
1: it became more real? Yeah, I think it was the latter. I, I was yeah. aware, but uh, yeah, now being responsible for that specifically or having oversight over that, it it deepened its impact on me.
0: Thinking about people that are in a TD role now with only their limited perspective of, you know, what it takes to do the weekend service, you know, which is the things that are right in front of you. So making sure audio works and lighting is pointed at the right things and videos working. Would you have one piece of advice for people to empathy or try to understand the other side? Uh, You know, maybe what people are going through on stage and what their challenges are?
1: Yeah, I think so. I could give a case study uh, even of just this past week. Uh, so our our pastor is out of town uh, in in Israel, actually coming back tonight. Our community guy is has prepared a message for uh, the weekend. Okay, he's not sure if he's even going to preach it because uh, <laughs> if if our pastor gets in tonight at midnight, he'll probably do that. So all of this is is contingency plans. Okay, and the way that the, our community leader teaches he likes to have props and so on late monday (laughs) afternoon we learned about a prop that he needed for the weekend and we executed it on the team to to build this we had run through today and uh you know we whenever we hear about things because we run so fast uh we've got to come up with a solution that will work even if it's not going to be used and uh and our team's responsibility is are we 40 percent down yes from a staff perspective in this season true but the thing that we support, tier one events like weekend worship services, right. demand the bulk of our time. And so with joy, the best we can, we try to come up with compromises, have a solution. And this week has been really great. We won't know until tomorrow at 5 p.m. if we use it at the 4 p.m. <laughs> service. Uh, but I was so encouraged today because the, the guy who was teaching was able to use it. He was excited about it. And uh, the team got to work with this giant prop and where we're going to place it on stage. And that affects the band and uh, just the opportunity for us to collaborate together. There's that value again.
0: Yeah, so good. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day who we worked on Christmas together one year. Uh, He was the creative side and I was the technical side. And I think... When it was all set, we did a lot of work, you know, figuring out what are we doing, how we're going to do it, can we afford it, do we have enough time, all those things. It was a really great process. And then at the end of it all, we basically scrapped probably 75% of what we spent our money on and our time. And I just remember in that moment realizing the best thing for our service is to cut this part of it. Mm. And how that affected so many people on the team. Just like, I can't believe we spent all this time and money and now we're not going to use it. And I just remember thinking and even talking about in the moment, would we rather have done that element and, you know, have it make no sense and maybe make the service less effective Mm -hmm. just because that's what we spent our time and energy on? Or should we be open-handed with it and, you know, to say, hey, we did our best and we ended up cutting it all. So just it's such an interesting dynamic of saying, you know, just even your example, we're going to get these props, we're going to figure it out. We might not ever use it and that's okay.
1: Well, yeah. And that happened even today. We, we have uh, some boards that had some words painted on both sides of it. And we decided that uh, we were not going to use the second side. We're just going to keep it one sided. And so, all, all of the labor to prepare for that went away. But I think, you know, as writers say, the hardest part is the editing. We fall too in love with our own ideas <laughs> and we need, we need to just hold those things loosely and realize if if it's not great, let's not put it out there.
0: Right, right. I think Andy Stanley uh, talks about the your old couch in the living room. Like you <laughs> buy it, it's new, you love it, and then you move it down to the basement and now then it's in the garage, you know, but you don't want to get rid of it because it yep. has sentimental value uh, it means so much to you, but you have no need for it anymore. But you won't let go of it.
1: That's me and Skyline Chili. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's nostalgic. Oh man,
0: Skyline Chili! We could have had a whole episode about Skyline Chili if I'd only <laughs> known.
1: Oh my god! You gotta love it or you hate it, and I love it. I love it. Most most people don't.
0: Now, what do you get when you go to Skyline
1: Chili? Oh, that's easy. A regular four-way with onion two cheese conings with mustard and onion.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And then
1: then my wife rolls me out the front door. (laughs) Yeah. Stuff.
0: Because you've overdone it.
1: Yeah. But Uh, I get it once a year.
0: Right. There you go. So I I don't go there often enough uh, to know, but I definitely know that Chili Mac is involved uh, and it could Uh, be the four or five-way, but lots of cheese piled on top. Yeah, so good. Yes. The only way. I can't remember the last time I ate it, probably because it's just not good for you, but- um, anyway, <laughs> I do follow them on Instagram. That's how I, do keep that's how I keep in touch. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. I think uh, while I was in college, I did uh, some very, very small amount of production work for the Campus Crusade group that met at our campus. And uh, one week somebody asked me to play guitar. And so I'd never done that before. And I thought, oh, that would be a good, good thing to try. And so I just remember that day so vividly that standing on stage or, you know, up in the front with the guitar on and realizing all the things that the musicians have been telling me as the audio engineer became very real to me. (laughs) Like, oh, oh, this is what you're talking about. It totally changed my perspective on, you know, it's not just high maintenance musicians and artists. It's like people with needs and... Yeah. yeah, maybe I can't fulfill them, but at least I have the perspective of, yeah, it's really tough up there, and a lot harder than it looks from in the back of the sure. room.
1: We about uh, three years ago, we had a, a guy who'd been playing drums with us for a long time. He was a friend, and uh, he was looking for a job, and so he didn't have much experience on the production side, but uh, he was a musician. Okay, and we loved his heart, so we invited him on the team. He grew like crazy in terms of, of just production. And uh, what I've come to realize is musicians make incredible technicians. Yeah. And for us to draw lines between those two areas and, uh, and not invite everybody in, I mean, the the vocabulary we use, the timing that we rely on with regard to cues and lyrics, all of that stuff translates regardless of whether you're a musician or a technician.
0: Yeah, it's so true. We used to do uh, at Willow Creek, we, there would be a, a volunteer celebration night. And so on that night, we would give all of our volunteers the night off and then the staff would fill in in the in the places, you know, where they were normally volunteers. And so generally speaking, you'd have a worship leader running graphics or uh, the drummers on a camera or, you know, just all the different things. It was always such a huge eye opener for the worship leader, especially to run graphics because it's just not as easy as it looks yeah. Um, and when you're up on stage, it was like, why is this, you know, why isn't it happening exactly as fast as I'm thinking of it? Well, then the minute you're behind the, the pro presenter machine, you realize, oh, this is like very complicated and hard to pay attention the whole time. And it was always such a great exercise. It was great for our volunteers to have the night off, but it was also a really great exercise for our team to kind of realize what it's, what's really going on, what it really takes.
1: I can imagine. Yeah.
0: One of the things we were talking about uh, before we started recording is just you were saying I was asking you how you're doing you were saying you were, you know, down a few staff and you know they're starting soon. I mean you've hired them but they haven't started yet and so there's an onboarding process to to happen soon. I'd be curious just do you have a plan for that or how what does it mean to onboard somebody to Watermark? Are there values that you you, you and your team kind of live by or is it more of a cultural thing with the church? just be curious what's involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, with all of our new staff and volunteers, the first thing we share is, uh, our objectives, which is simply, uh, create, collaborate, cultivate, and circulate. So we each have a responsibility to be creative in our roles. We each have a responsibility to collaborate with the speaker or the musician or another artist to try to figure out how we fulfill a shared goal. Uh-huh. We get to, uh, cultivate our own faith and our own gifts, and then finally circulate as just the things that we do each week last much longer than 45 minutes these days because they live online. So the excellence that we can execute on in 45 minutes will have an impact for uh, hopefully eternity or as long as those files live out there in the sure. cloud, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, so we just share that with, with uh, all of our new volunteers and specifically uh, the folks that we've hired. Some of our our new staff have already been around Watermark for a while. They've been volunteers with us and uh, a couple of them are coming from the outside. And so it just so happens in this round of hires that the folks that are new and from Watermark are going to be really new to production, but they understand the values uh, that we have here at Watermark. Okay. The the two outside guys love Jesus, but they're going to be lacking in culture. So we're, um, but they have experience on the production side. So I have different paths for each of them individually based on whether they're, they're new to the organization or new to this particular role.
0: Sure, yeah. And uh, those four things that you mentioned, uh, create, collaborate, cultivate, circulate, which I love all those things, those are specifically the production department's values or is that something that the whole church is about or maybe just a subset of what the church is
1: it's the, uh, it's the entire arts team. So okay. both the worship team and the production team have adopted those. Uh, okay. And then the, uh, the values around those are what we call one-team mentality, uh, which simply means an appreciation for both sides of the microphone. We, we've got the same goal, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. The body of Christ is made up of really unique gifts. Mm-hmm. So we just try to appreciate those. Being a host, not guest, there are new people in the room all the time. So it's each of our responsibility to initiate with a new face Monday Conversations is simply a reminder for us to resolve conflict, if there was any on Sunday, to make sure that we're also encouraging and offering feedback. Okay. Try to have a, a great culture of feedback here. Let's not guess. <laughs> Solution-oriented. Okay. You know, sometimes we have to say no, but uh, when we have to say no, we at least want to find uh, some solution and compromise to work together. Okay. And finally, flexibility over frustration, which is probably the one I say the most out of all of those. <laughs> We run pretty lean and fast around here. We don't have a lot of lead time, okay. which obviously can move toward frustration. So all of those values work together for us to be able to make sure that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is really relationships. So right. let's not choose to be frustrated. Let's figure out how we can work together to accomplish this shared goal.
0: Nice. And so those are all off the top of your head. That's uh, You you, uh, <laughs> you got those out pretty well.
1: <laughs> we talk about them all the time. It's so those, great. Those are the thing, the nine things, so the four C's, and then I joke it's Omfus, O H M F S. <laughs> it means nothing, but that's how I remember them.
0: That's so funny. I was at some church where they had banners and signs all over the church that had something like that written on it. I'm like, what does that even yeah. stand for? And the person knew exactly what it was. And they're like, the reason we put it on all the signs is because it's it's goofy enough that we all remember it. Yeah, but it doesn't actually say anything. It's just letters. I guess uh, since you've been around since the beginning or near the beginning of Watermark Church, I mean, being in a high school is, that's, you know, near the beginning. Were these always, uh, these nine things always kind of a thing or have they developed over time? And are there ones that, you know, you and your team kind of contributed in these? Or I'd just be curious where these nine things came from.
1: Yeah, I guess I could say they've been around since the very beginning. They didn't have the sticky phrases uh-huh. Uh, that we now use. But those values, uh, there, there's a guy who's uh, been around here. He really trained me in everything. I knew audio, uh, Martin Messenger. He's been at Watermark really literally since day one. And uh, his mother was the worship leader, keyboard player. His father okay. was the bass player. And so early on, because he was the sound guy and his parents were in the band, he modeled all of those appreciations for each other's gifts. And so because he set that firm foundation, we've just continued to uh, to build on that. And so he's on staff with us now. He's up at our Frisco campus. Okay. And uh, I never mention these values without mentioning him uh, because he was integral in making sure that we we started off in a healthy place. So right. really, it's just been in the last two years that we kind of honed down all of these values and tried to put them in a, a format that people could easily digest and we could teach around.
0: Right, right yeah just talking about the idea of onboarding volunteers and staff and like if you don't have nine things or whatever if you don't know what those things are it's really hard to onboard anyone to anything if you don't have something some framework that you're inviting them to be a part of yeah yeah the thing that i notice just going to different churches that or even organizations a lot of times they they miss the opportunity to figure out well, what do we want to be about so that we know how to communicate it to new people and how to have common language so that we know, hey, if we need to have a hard conversation, they're based on these things that matter to us, not just something arbitrary. Yeah. I mean, I noticed for me, leading volunteers and that sort of thing, things were so much easier if I had this conversation first before they started. Yes. Because then, the, in air quotes, the hard conversations were generally not hard because we'd already talked about We'd already talked about it.
1: Yeah, everybody knows the playbook.
0: Right. And so I noticed that if I didn't have that conversation with people, yeah, the hard conversations were very hard because there was no standard. I mean, I only knew the standard um, and the other person didn't, which is not a recipe for success for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how often do you talk about these things on your team? Are they every weekend? Are they in your email signature? Like I'd just be curious. How do you, That's great. How do you get people – on this page
1: in some sense we talk about it every day or multiple times a day just because those phrases we use regularly in terms of uh, weekends we talk about it every weekend vision leaks and with rotation of volunteers volunteer may only hear all of those three or four times a year because they're only serving you know once a month and right right all the rotations. Uh, But whenever we onboard folks, we do uh, a vision and values class every month for all of our new volunteers, and we teach through all of that.
0: Now, is this something that when you're onboarding volunteers, you're talking about the Dallas campus, or do you bring all the campuses together at certain points to to talk about these things?
1: We have not done all campuses together. Anytime Dallas does something, we invite any campus if they want to be a part, and we try to invite... Really, any other church that's in the Dallas area who can easily get here. I mean, if we have a responsibility to help train up our volunteers here locally and we have a heart for the big church, it really doesn't cost us any more resource to invite other people to do the same event and just have more people in the room. Right. I
0: appreciate that you say that. I just, I remember in the days of uh, doing the Willow Creek Arts Conference, so this is going back a long time, there were times that I would be teaching a breakout class and I would see a volunteer, one of our volunteers in the back of the room. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I don't think this person has ever heard me say these things. Oh, wow. Uh, and they they mean a lot to me. And so I, I'll i prepare a talk for, you know, 200 strangers, but I won't, you know, I'm not doing this for my own team. Yeah, it just yeah. It felt so weird. So I just kind of love that you're doing the opposite
1: of that. Well, I will tell you, it's really new. Like I said, just in the last year and a half to two years have we begun to do this because we, we found that we were, just as you said earlier, we were trying to have conversations with folks. we like, well, even though we model these values, we right. weren't setting the table with those values. Sure. And so it, it sounds like we've had it all together. This is really, <laughs> really pretty new yeah. uh, because we, we noticed the, the gap between what we – sit how they say it? The um, values you aspire to and the values you hold – Inspired right, right. to have those, but not everybody was holding them. Right, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just to be able to say solutions oriented, and then that dumps you into a conversation about, hey, it's okay to say no, but you know, have let's figure out how, what we're going to do instead. Yes, yeah, just so helpful. I mean, just that, just that little bit right there, and have. You, I'm assuming you've seen a huge difference in kind of how the team functions.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we have, uh, yeah. if, if for no other reason, the events that we have when we onboard people and when we launched this, where we pulled all of our volunteers, both those that have been serving with us forever and, uh, and we brand new, everybody got a t-shirt. We had a fun night. Our campus pastor gave a really inspiring and gracious message toward the teams that, you know, the, the O-line who is helping them look great every week. Uh-huh. Uh, he was very kind. And so by simply by having those events, people realize, even though they're not serving with everybody in that room every week, mm-hmm. they're a part of an army that is helping to support this campus Sunday through Saturday.
0: Right. Yeah. So great. Now, so maybe you just said this, but how often are you doing those meetings? Is it like once a month? Is it a qu- once a quarter?
1: It's about once a month. We, we really do it based on need. So okay. as we have folks who have inquired about volunteering with us, we just kind of put them in a queue. And then we, we do that. So it's it's about every four to six weeks is probably a fair way to say. It. Yeah. Okay. I, we just had one last set last uh, Sunday.
0: Oh, nice. Yep. And uh, how many volunteers were? Do you have some that are that have been around a while that come, or is it mostly just all new new folks?
1: For those, they're all new, but uh-huh. uh, it, it's not a requirement for folks to start serving with us before, or excuse me, to have that class before right, they right. start serving with us. Uh-huh. So some folks have been running camera for two or three weeks already, okay. and then they come to the class. But very early on in serving with us, they they have to take that. Sure.
0: Yeah. So good. Thinking about volunteers and events that are coming up, we were talking a little bit about the fact that Easter's around the corner. Uh, how you are preparing for Easter, like what is your, are you trying something new as far as process goes or, you know, have you in the last few years figured out kind of how the, how it needs to work and do that again?
1: Yeah, we haven't made many changes this year compared to what we've done in the past. And, and here's what we do in the past. We start floating some ideas out on uh, things we've heard our pastor say. Okay. Uh, any notes. Uh, we call them post-mortem notes from the previous year. After a big event, we just write everything down. What can we learn next time? They want not have to pay the dumb tax on a second time. Yeah, And, uh, and we'll sit down and, and kind of start to cultivate what that might look like. But Todd Wagner, our senior pastor here, he has a hard time latching onto an idea that he hasn't heard about or thought about for a little while. So right. okay. we just try to kind of float ideas out past him and then we'll have a conversation formally about four or six weeks out from Easter, which should be really soon, but we at most we have thirty days out from uh, from Christmas or Easter, so we're barely there and this year uh, we host a conference here at watermark annually and traditionally it's been after Easter this year, year's three weeks before so that's <laughs> that's our next big mountain right
0: now right yeah right in that small very small window that you have to get ready for Easter
1: that's right yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah. We have four weeks to get ready for Easter and one week of that we'll be doing something gigantic. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And is that something that's usually at your campus, the conference you're talking about?
1: It is. This is the fourth year that we've hosted it. It's called the Church Leaders Conference. You can go to churchleadersconference.com and learn all about it. Pre-conferences start on April 1st and then the conference is April at two through four. Okay. All right. And it's, it's really for lay leaders, church staff, elders. And we cover everything from children's ministry. We're doing a production pre-workshop for the first time this year, oh, nice. which we're really excited about.
0: Okay. Nice. And the people who come, are they from all over? Or are they a lot from even Watermark Church or what's the demographic of people coming?
1: Yeah, they're really from all over the country.
0: Okay, nice. So I'm guessing with just four weeks to prepare and then, you know, one week of that missing or maybe a week and a half, I don't know, it was like a week of prep and then a week of event. Yeah. Uh, For the conference. Do you feel like Easter is kind of is manageable within that four week time? Or is it, are you usually pushing yourself to the limit? Or, I mean, I guess part of the question is what is Easter at Watermark? Is it a big blowout event or is it, is it a weekend service that's maybe, you know, you put a suit and tie on it and it, you know, dress it up a little bit or what's the.
1: Yeah. Uh, we don't do a cantata or anything like that. (laughs) We, it's basically a, a bit More glamorous of a weekend service. Traditionally, we'll do a major element. This is the first year that we've had uh, the conference prior to Easter. Yeah. So in years past, we've been able to to use uh, resources we've created for Easter and also use them at CLC. This year, we don't have that luxury. So it's TBD. (laughs) Ask me. uh, (laughs) I'll see you at Philo and and let you know. Let me know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. And is it usually? talking about the conference now is it usually run by your team the the worship is done by the team like is it all kind of an in-house deal with speakers from out of town or is it even guest worship bands and that kind of stuff
1: usually it's all watermark people in every position okay primary teachers the production team the band everybody okay yeah, it's an all hands on deck and every department is affected uh, by CLC because everybody is doing a breakout Got it. or a pre-conference of some kind.
0: I mean, the nice part about that is that you all know each other. And so yeah. it's easier to pull on something heavy when you know how each other operate versus lots of guests and extra things that, you know, you don't know how to work with those people. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The upside yeah. <laughs> to, to having a conference right before Easter.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really fun. Uh, you know, you create this, uh, this language and it's a beautiful dance and you get through it and like, wow, that was, that was really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, uh, yeah, I know the feeling like you're exhausted and wiped out. And then when it's over, you're like, Oh, it's over. Yeah. Uh, I don't get to hang out with these people night and day anymore. <laughs> well, Hey, uh, it's been so great to, uh, yeah, to chat and, uh, catch up and yeah, super looking forward to, seeing you at Philo, and yeah, I can't wait to hear how the conference slash Easter run goes for you.
1: I will let you know. I'm excited (laughs) to be up there with you guys.
0: Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Todd. Man, what a great conversation with Ryan. You know, one of the, my favorite things that he talked about was this idea of team values. I'm a huge fan of them because they really help define what you're about and gives everyone kind of a starting place for how we do production ministry. And team values at Watermark, man, they're so good. And the fact that they talk about them all the time is so important to keep them kind of at the top of everyone's mind. If you're having trouble remembering what they are, instead of going back and listening to the whole podcast again, we're going to post those nine values uh, in the show notes of our website, so you can go check that out. Um, One thing to note, before we actually started recording the podcast, Ryan and I were talking just about his Philo main session talk uh, that's coming up, and I'm really excited uh, because, yeah, we'll all get to kind of learn from what God has been teaching Ryan this past year. And I think it's going to be really, really good for us. If you haven't signed up for 2019 yet, uh, there's still time. Uh, The last price change comes at midnight on April 21st. So definitely sign up before that happens. Check out philo.org. You'll get all the details there. While you're on our website, there's also new stuff always happening about the Philo Conference. So check that out. And also we're kind of pushing a lot of information through social media. So follow us at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. We'd love your comments, questions, suggestions. If you just want to say hey, we'd love that too. Shoot us an email at philopodcast at fusion.productions. Alright, until next time.